I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabulous day. It's a nice, cool autumn morning in Dallas, Georgia, and I'm wearing my sweater. I love sweater weather. Uh, my name is Paige. I'm your host for another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Paige. Here's my coffee. And today we're closing in on the end of the story about Joseph. There is a... Uh, it's a it's probably it has impacted my life a lot and it's amazing how God's word uh how God's word digs into things in your past that you thought you dealt with and you haven't and the theme of today's chapter as we're wrapping up the story with Joseph and his brothers is the sovereignty of God and repentance. And we're going to, I'll just give you a little heads up. The brothers, there's two portraits being painted here. The one is the portrait of repentance, and that's what we see in his brothers, especially Judah. The other portrait being presented here is a portrait of deliverance, God's grace, God's forgiveness, unconditional. So let's just read the story and get after it. Let's see what we got here. Uh, all right, let's see here. Let me. I have to scroll down here. Scroll, scroll, scroll. We've got 40-some-odd chapters to scroll through here. Should have had this set up ahead of time. 42, there we go. 43. 44. All right. And there's 45. All right, at the end... Uh, at the end of chapter 44, last week, last week, I'm sorry, yesterday, Judah is presenting his case to Joseph. And Judah, his argument's particularly poignant because he is the one who masterminded the plan of selling Joseph into slavery. And he volunteers to take the place of his of the youngest brother and become a slave himself. So there's the brothers have turned the corner, but they still don't know everything there is to know about this new Egyptian official. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, "Have everyone leave my presence!" So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. 
and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. Just imagine, imagine the emotion of this moment. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And well, they should be. They had sold him into slavery, a boy. And now the second most powerful man in all the known world was what he had turned out to be. Their lives were in his hands. He could have snapped his fingers and had them put to death immediately. And nobody could have stopped it. They were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. We're talking God's sovereignty here. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Now, Joseph took what they had done and he saw God's hand in it. Now, this was the son of Israel, the one who wrestles with God. This is the one who had a connection, a personal connection with God. And he saw the life that was around him, the life he was living, the circumstances he was in, he saw it through the lens of God's sovereignty. And he says, look, God sent me ahead to save lives. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. I needed to be here in order to save your lives. There's a, there was a time in my life, and I've shared a little bit about it, where I went through bankruptcy. And it was a devastating time in my life. And God was teaching me huge, powerful things. Our first year of bankruptcy, when I was, did a complete change of employment, I went from being an engineer to trying to teach guitar lessons for a living. Uh, our first year, I think I made eleven dollars or $12,000. Glenda had a, a small job at teaching at a preschool. And between the two of us, I think we brought in fourteen or fifteen or maybe $16,000 that very first year. Now, our break-even point was about $20,000. And to this day, Glenda and I cannot tell you where that extra, where that other five or $6,000 came from. We just can't. However, there was one instance that demonstrated to me and showed me that God's hand was in this. My daughter had been hired uh, by a firm, and she's an actuary, and she got a very good job. She's an incredible young lady, and she's uh, she just got a really great job. And at that time, she was able to help us with groceries and little things that came up that we might not have had money for during that time while we were trying to sell our house and get out from under the bankruptcy. Well, I remember telling her once how guilty it made me feel as a father to be accepting money from his daughter to buy groceries because maybe at the time we couldn't afford groceries. And she reminded me of the story in the Bible about a lady named Esther 
and her uncle, she wanted her to, uh, to accept her role as Israel, what would become Israel's savior because the Persian king was being fed a bunch of nonsense from an advisor of his, and he was going to put her people to death. And she was scared to approach the Persian king and defend her people. And her uncle says, who knows but what for such a moment as this you were created. My daughter says, Dad, you provided for us kids growing up. Who knows but what I have been made for a moment such as this. And then I allowed her to buy the groceries because obviously it was God speaking to me. I had to have several bastions of pride in my heart broken down, and that was one of them. And she said, you took care of us. It's our turn now. Somebody has to step forward, and God, who knows but what God made me for a moment such as this. I almost wept. I still we almost weep thinking about it. She means so much to me, and that is, at that moment, we needed her. Joseph understands that what his brothers did to him was part of God's sovereign plan to put him in a place where he could save them. My daughter understood that part of God's plan for her life was to be where she was so that she could save us. God's sovereignty at work. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, Joseph's continuing to talk. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He's telling them, look, you're going to die where you're living because there's no food for the next five years. Joseph's use of, his, of this term, remnant, indicates his strong faith, tested by hard experience in the faithfulness of God to his covenant promises. Out of this small endangered group, and they were in danger of dying out because of the famine. A great nation would be built. The prophets would later use this term remnant in affirming that even in trying circumstances, God would always preserve a people for himself. That's always been God's plan. Out of the millions of people on the planet that were uh, wicked, God preserved a remnant family, Noah. And he always preserves for himself a remnant. In uh, I don't know, I've told this before as well. An old Presbyterian preacher told me once that there is the church invisible and the church visible. The church visible is everybody who shows up on a Sunday morning. The church invisible is the remnant of true believers inside the core of all those that show up. And those are the people that will be there when trials and tribulations hit. There's always a remnant. God always preserves a remnant. So then, Joseph continues, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. 
You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children, and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. He wants them to hurry up, not just because he wants to see his father soon, but it's only going to get worse. And he wants them where he can save them. Who knows but for such a moment as this that God made Joseph, right? He has made me Lord of all Egypt. I'm like a father to the Pharaoh. Um, go get my, go get our father and bring him here. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you've seen and bring my father down here quickly. All right, thought for a moment. Though the brothers were responsible for Joseph's being sold into Egypt, and though they intended harm, God was ultimately behind it all and had worked it out for the good. As he told his brothers, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And he said, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives. He's removing from their shoulders the burden of the sin that they committed against him. This is forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness isn't saying uh, what you did didn't matter. No, what they did did matter. They hurt him. But biblical forgiveness is the relief of debt of repayment. When you sin against me and I forgive you, I'm telling you, you owe me nothing. From this moment on, the ledgers are clean. You owe me nothing. Joseph is telling his brothers, All right, yes, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God, and, he, and he continually, uh, he continually um, puts what happened into the context of God's sovereignty. The brothers sold him into slavery, but he doesn't say that. He said, let's see, what did he say up here? He said, um, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh. So he sees everything through the lens of God's sovereignty. Now these brothers who have not had the relationship with God that he has, they see everything through their sin, and they were terrified when he revealed himself to them. You can understand their terror. They've come face to face with this sin. The one thing that they thought they would never, ever have to face is facing them now. So it's it's amazing. Further enough, it was, uh, and God had a purpose for it all for Jacob or for Joseph going to Egypt. Joseph, the one ultimately responsible for initiating the plots and subplots of the preceding narratives. In other words, Joseph, the one who played the game with them to bring them to repentance, to bring them to the realization of their sin. He reveals a divine plan and purpose behind it all. Through it all, he saw God's desire to accomplish a great deliverance. When I went through my bankruptcy, I had people come up to me and say, Paige, we're praying that the enemy would quit messing with you and your finances. My response was this. Thank you for praying. But your prayers are misdirected. Don't pray that the enemy quit messing with me because this is not the enemy's fault. This is my fault. Oh, I'm sure he had something to do with it. But the fact is, my desire, my will to go against God's plan, 
to go against what God wanted, to go against God's desires. My will put me in this place. I've reaped the wind, I've sowed the wind, and I'm reaping the whirlwind. Pray instead that I learn the lesson that God has for me. I had begun to learn to view my circumstances through the lens of the sovereignty of God. And for a child of God, there's no other lens to view it. When Satan came before God and wanted to mess with uh, Job's life, God gave him permission, but he, but he laid boundaries. He says, you can't have his life. Do what you want, but you can't have his life. God was in complete control of everything that happened to Job, believe it or not. God was in complete control with everything that happened to Joseph. And Joseph realizes that. And when you can look through life through the, sovereign, through the lens of God's sovereignty, it takes this huge burden off your shoulders to fix things, to have to make things right. God is the only one that can make things right. God is the only one who can redeem. He is the only one who can save. He is the only one who can deliver. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. Now, you realize Benjamin is his only full brother. and Everybody else is a half-brother. But Benjamin and he shared the same father and mother. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. I would have loved to have heard that conversation. Have you ever been forgiven something that is, was so huge in your eyes? Have you ever had a relationship restored through the avenue of forgiveness and redemption? I don't think I've ever experienced anything as heady and as powerful as what they must have felt at that moment. He kissed his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. They could be brothers, and not enemies anymore. And when the, nose reached, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had arrived, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals, return to the land of Canaan, and bring your land, father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So initially, their sojourn in Egypt was going to be couched in luxury. They were going to be uh, the guests of Pharaoh and enjoy his protection. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them, he gave new clothing. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, said to them, don't quarrel on the way. That's an interesting little statement. But you can imagine the place his brothers were at in their, mentally. They'd found Joseph, and he had completely forgiven them. The temptation would have been for them to backbite and fight and argue with each other and assign blame to what had happened. This is a huge thing that just happened to them. 
and he's telling him, don't quarrel. Stop fighting. With He forgave them to the extent that he's basically telling him, from this moment on, in my mind, it's as if this thing never happened between us. What's important is that I am here in Egypt. I'm in a position to save you. How I got here is no longer important. I'm here. It's hard to handle that complete of forgiveness. That I'm sure that's the wrong gr- grammatical construct there. It's hard to imagine what it feels like to be forgiven that greatly. I hope I'm communicating what I'm saying, what I want to say. Put yourself in their shoes. In all intents and purposes, they thought they had killed their brother. They died, He probably died in slavery. I mean, you know that's what they're thinking before they came here. And now their brother is the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation in the known world at the time. Whew. Don't fight. Just stop fighting. It's done. There's nothing more to fight about. That's what he's telling him. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. All right. They do, it does not, the Bible does not share the entire conversation because I know there was more to the conversation than that. Jacob would demand a reckoning of some sort. What do you mean he's alive? You told me he was dead. Gave me his clothes with blood on it. What was that? You can imagine all that discussion going on. And they would have to come clean to their father, Jacob. They would have to confess their sin to him. There's a lot of conversation that's not recorded. But you know it had to have happened. Jacob was stunned. He didn't believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And that's kind of where we're going to... Uh, it's kind of where we're going to leave things. I got. I have a couple other thoughts here, though. Let me go up and load this up. And then we'll go, we'll go on a merry little way here. Let me pull this up. I mentioned the fact that uh, this story is all about redemption and all about forgiveness and all about uh, God's sovereignty. Let's just do look at a couple things here. There are two pictures presented to us in this tale of 12 brothers. One, the first picture is a portrait of Joseph. That's a picture of the sovereignty of God and his unconditional grace. Joseph himself said, God sent me ahead of you. You didn't put me into slavery. He says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. That's his grace and mercy. He was going to deliver them because they would certainly die because the famine was that bad. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. God's sovereignty. Again, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Joseph looked through the lens of the sovereignty of God. And that's how he judged his circumstances. 
Yes, his brothers threw him into a cistern. Yes, his brothers sold him to Ishmaelites. Yes, the Ishmaelites sold him to Potiphar. Yes, Potiphar threw him into prison. Yes, the, he got started, went to work for the Pharaoh. And yes, he, then he became appointed second over all the land, viceroy of Egypt, if you will. And <laughs> Jacob, when he's recounting the story to his brothers, he doesn't tell them, you did this to me and you did this to me, but I forgive you. That's not what he said. He said, God sent me ahead of you to prepare a place. Does that sound familiar? Jesus, when he told his disciples, says, I have to go away because I have to go to prepare a place for you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you, to make a place for you. God's remnant. Now, the portrait of his brothers paints a picture of repentance and restoration. Judah, the one who spearheaded the decision to sell Joseph into slavery, is willing to himself become a slave. You see that in verse 33. Let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. True repentance involves owning me owning my sin and my willingness to pay the price of that sin. My sin when I went bankruptcy was foolishness with money. I had to own up to the fact that I was foolish. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident that I went bankrupt. It was a deliberate act of foolishness on my part and hubris, thinking that I could control things to the extent that I thought I could. God had to drive that out of me. And I had to reach a point where I owned it, called it what it was, and became willing to pay the price that was going to be required. Now, if that had meant going homeless, then that's what it would have meant. But God had a path of deliverance for my wife and I, and he set us on a different path, and we, we think differently about money, we behave differently about money, and God has been good to us since then. Now, here's the deal. Romans chapter 3, 10 through 18. See if this doesn't describe Joseph's brothers. There's no one righteous, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. Oh, deceit. Hmm, Jacob, the deceiver, his sons learn to practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They were. They were willing to throw Joseph to the wolves. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They might as well be writing a... Paul might as well have been writing a, a short autobiography of Joseph's brothers. And the wages of sin, it's death. Repentance doesn't take place until you own your sin. You call it what it is. You have disobeyed. You have, you have gone against the God of the universe and his will. You own it. Lord, I've done this. This is on me. And I know what the penalty for sin is. The penalty of sin is death. Joseph's brothers probably expected to die once they understood that their brother Joseph was the second most powerful man in Egypt 
and he could have just snapped his fingers and put him to death. They expected death. I'm sure of it. But the second half of this verse, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as Joseph's brothers were granted a new life, they were going to go from a land that was racked in famine to a land of plenty in Egypt when they brought when they brought their father back. The gift of God for you and I is eternal life. Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the exact opposite of what we deserve. The Kyrie, uh, which is part of the Latin Mass, um, the Kyrie is a piece of music, has two phrases in it. Christo eleison and Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, right? That's the entire song. And the song is sung by a penitent. He's not asking but one thing, Lord, have mercy. Why mercy? Because I deserve death. The wages of sin is death. And the only way I can escape this penalty of death is, Lord, for you to forgive me. To say from this moment on, your debt is paid. You owe nothing. And there's nothing in you that earns that. There's nothing in you that's good enough to earn that. Joseph's brothers were scoundrels. <laughs> they, uh, with the possible exception of Benjamin, they, his youngest brother, they planned his destruction. There was nothing good of them. They did not share the faith of their father Israel. They shared the walk of their father Jacob and practiced deceit. And they were evil. They were angry. And Joseph saved them. We are enemies of God. There's no one who does good, not even one. That's a pretty big number. There's nobody that seeks after God. All have become worthless. There's no fear of God in our eyes. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see all this reflected in the story of Joseph and his brothers. And I saw it reflected in a very practical way in my life when I went through that period of bankruptcy where God was crushing me and my attitude about money. My daughter was put in a place where she could help, and she did. Who knows what for such a moment as this, that God put me here, Dad. Those were her words. I couldn't fight with that. That's Bible. Wow. Amazing, amazing stuff. We're almost done with the story, Joseph. A couple more days and we'll be finished. Um, I hope some of this resonated with you. It, uh, it's got my mind swimming. It's got me thinking about areas that I, in my life that I still need to address and release to God and accept his forgiveness for. Um, more on that later, perhaps. But for right now, know this. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. Folks, I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.